Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to eliminate cancer as a cause of death. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about neuro-oncology with Dr. Antonio Omuro. Dr. Omuro is Chief of Neuro-Oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, where he's also the Clinical Program Leader of the Brain Tumor Program. And Dr. Chagpar is a Professor of Surgery at Yale. So, Brian, why don't we start off by talking about what exactly is neuro-oncology? How common is brain cancer? Um, Let's start there. Sure. So, neuro-oncology is a subspecialty of neurology or a subspecialty of medical oncology. So, we typically have training that takes place after we finish the residency or fellowship in neurology or oncology. And then uh, you start practicing neuro-oncology as to speak. Uh, So we basically focus on uh, brain tumors, and that includes tumors that come from the brain, which we call uh, primary brain tumors. It could also be tumors that come from other parts of the body, in this case, then brain metastasis. We also treat a lot of uh, complications of cancer when it comes to brain and neurologic uh, issues. So neurologic complications of cancer also falls under our uh, area of interest. Like what? For example, you can see what we call perineoplastic diseases, which are neurologic complications from cancer that are not directly related to the cancer. We also deal, again, brain metastasis can also be uh, considered a type of complication. We see a lot of inflammatory diseases from cancer treatments, For example, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors can cause inflammatory diseases of the nervous system. So there's a lot of types of diseases that are are very complicated because they need knowledge both in neurology and in oncology, and that's where we come in. So a lot of patients may have heard about chemo brain. Is that in your wheelhouse, or is that something altogether different? Uh, This is something that we also uh, tend to uh, work on. We're seeing that more and more, and that's uh, what I think is a good problem to have because back in the day, we were worried about improving survival in cancer. But now we're getting patients to survive, and now we need to worry about their quality of life and how, in this case, the brain is working and how well the brain is working and how they can go back to their normal lives. So chemo brain is indeed a problem from many types of chemotherapies and cancer treatments and certainly is an area of interest across the board. So so let's start there. I mean, we'll get into talking about all of the different kinds of brain tumors as well. But since we're talking about chemo brain, is this really treatable? I think a lot of people, when they're faced with chemotherapy and or have experienced kind of that memory fog, that being kind of not quite as sharp as they once were, really worry about that and and wonder, like, is this reversible? Am I ever going to get the cognitive function that I had before? Am I ever going to be able to be as sharp and my memory as good as it was before I had chemo to begin with? Yes, I think that depends a lot on the type of treatment and how intense uh, the chemotherapy was. 
So there is a wide range of complications that could go from uh, just minor forgetfulness to actually full-blown dementia. Fortunately, these are very rare, and in most cases, they do improve over time. So there is a tendency of the brain to recover. Also, other parts of the brain start to learn to pick up on functions that were lost. So I think overall, patients tend to improve over time. And we are trying to understand more and more how to uh, how this happens and how to prevent and eventually how to treat. And uh, there's a lot of research in that area as well. So many patients may ask, um, you know, what can I do? What can I do to keep my brain healthy if I'm going to start chemotherapy or if I'm going through chemotherapy? What can I do if I've had chemotherapy and I'm starting to forget things? Like, is there a particular diet that I should be doing or is there a certain medicine that I should be taking? I mean, we see uh, ads on TV all the time for, you know, vitamins that improve brain health. Like, should I be doing that? I think the first thing to do is to talk to your oncologist because there are many other causes of uh, brain dysfunction that are linked to cancer treatments that are not necessarily a direct side effect from the cancer. It could be, for example, a nutritional issue. It could be depression or anxiety. It could be thyroid function issues. So there's a lot of things that uh, we need to investigate first to determine what is causing that. So I think that is very important. And then if we decide that this is uh, from the chemotherapy itself, well, I think it is a problem of discussing what are the risks and benefits of the ongoing treatment. And most of the times, we will prefer, of course, the best and effective treatment to continue. So what I would tell patients is to, well, sit tight and then we'll deal with this afterwards because the first thing here is to survive the cancer. Mm -hmm. And let's say that they've finished their chemotherapy, they sat tight, and they now come to you and they say, okay, it's not my thyroid. I'm not depressed aside from the fact that I just went through cancer treatment and I would have preferred not to have cancer to begin with, but I'm okay. Um, and we've ruled out other kinds of issues, but I still have this this kind of fog, this memory lapse or, you know, that general chemo brain that people talk about um, and that certainly is all over social media and, and websites and so on. And they come to you really asking, I've finished my, my mainstay of therapy, but I still have this persistent kind of fog is there, are there things that I can do? Uh, are there medicines that I should be taking? Should I see a neuro-oncologist? Uh, are there vitamins that I should be taking for brain health? Um, should I alter my diet? What, help me to understand. Or is this something that you just kind of say, you know what, give it tincture of time? It'll settle out, hopefully, uh, with time. I think giving some time is always helpful because there's so much going on at that point in time and many of these things will go away and will improve. But if the problem is persistent and is causing uh, issues in your daily activities, then it is the time to consult a specialist. What we typically do is to, of course, investigate other causes and work with what we call a neuropsychologist to perform a very comprehensive what we call neuropsychological testing, which is a lot of questions that take place over several hours to try to understand which functions in your brain are not uh, uh, performing well. And then depending on what we find, we can also 
uh, number one, use some types of medications and also refer you to a, a cognitive rehabilitation program. And when for moderate to severe cases, we tend to do that. And there are some good results there. But again, it is difficult to determine if they are working or it could be just time passing by and uh, your brain recovering. Yeah. But still, something for people to think about if if they're having symptoms is, is to go and see a specialist, a neuro-oncologist uh, or somebody who might be able to get you into a cognitive rehab program, kind of training your brain just like you'd train your body after uh, you might have gone through some physical stress. Absolutely. And I think it's it comes down to discuss directly with your doctor quality of life issues because we're very worried about the cancer treatment itself and the cancer itself, and we forget about those things that are actually very important in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. And it's important to think about uh, the symptoms that you might be having because they may not be just from cancer treatment. I think that, you know, people who have cancers uh, in other parts of their body need to also think when you start having things like headaches or blurry vision or trouble speaking or, you know, difficulty in, you know, kind of getting the right words out, just like I did for half a second there. Um, It might be, you know, you need to kind of be thinking about talking to your doctor about could this be a cancer that metastasized to the brain because many cancers do go to the brain. Absolutely. That's something that we're seeing more and more, in fact. As patients survive longer periods of time, they are exposed to the risk of having a brain metastasis for longer periods of time. So we're seeing more and more brain metastasis as a growing problem. And, and so and so, if, if somebody does have a brain metastasis, let's say they had a breast cancer or colon cancer or lung cancer, I guess I have a couple of questions. The first is, why do cancers like to go to the brain? Um, and the second is, what can you do about it if it does go to the brain? Right. In the case of brain metastasis, one of the reasons that we keep uh, researching to try to understand why they're becoming so common is uh, the fact that the brain is protected, what we call the blood-brain barrier, which means that chemotherapies and many anti-cancer treatments do not get into the brain well. So this is uh, because nature is very wise and the brain is protected from toxic things that are in our blood. But in that case, the toxic thing is actually a treatment. And the brain is left behind, uh, and that is sometimes how we see more and more metastasis and people with brain metastasis developing even though their primary tumors are well controlled. But that's the question, right? Like if the brain is protected by the blood-brain barrier, and we've all been told that, and we get the fact that medicines don't get to the brain because of the blood-brain barrier, my question is, so how come the cancer gets into the brain? I mean, the brain's one of the favorite spots for a lot of cancers to go. How come, how come the blood-brain barrier can't keep the toxic thing called cancer out of the brain? Yeah, unfortunately, tumor cells are also very smart, just like nature. They are meant to survive. So these are cells that learn how to insert themselves uh, in between uh, the vascular uh, structures and to reach the what we call the brain parenchyma. So the cancers have many mechanisms to invade the brain. And 
unfortunately, once they invade, they're protected. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, your blood flow does go to your brain. And so uh, cancer cells can get lodged there. Uh, but uh, it would be it would be nice if that blood brain barrier could keep out cancers just like it can keep out some of our drugs. Yeah, it probably does. To some extent, brain metastases are not as common as many other True enough. Metastasis. True enough. So let's suppose somebody comes to you and they've got a brain metastasis. One of the things you had said at the outset is that neuro-oncology really looks at people who have brain tumors, whether it started in the brain or it came to the brain from someplace else. So if somebody has a brain metastasis and they present to you, what are kind of the things that you can do, given the fact that now this cancer is kind of metastasized? It's, you know, as a surgeon, I like cancers that are in a given spot. I do breast cancer, as many of our listeners know, and, and love the idea that as a surgeon, I can take that cancer out of the breast and render people cancer free, which I can do most of the time, except when it's spread all over the body. So what can you do as a neuro-oncologist to help that patient with brain metastases? Is there a way to control that disease, to, to you know, minimize that? Well, there's many aspects to the treatment of brain metastasis. So the first good news is that the treatments are getting better and better. So you can start with resection. As a surgeon, you appreciate that, especially in the brain, this would be helpful when it is causing compression of brain structures that are vital for functioning. So that's a way to start if the surgery can be done safely. And then typically we uh, also look into what we call radiosurgery techniques to, on top of taking out the tumor, treat any cells left with some radiation. And of course, uh, that is helpful in limited number of metastasis, but if there's a lot of metastasis, we can use radiation to the whole brain. There are new techniques to do that in a way that you can protect the brain. And then there's also more and more thoughts about how to use better anti-cancer treatments, better chemotherapies to get into the brain or immunotherapy. Uh, There's many other options that are helping us to control brain metastasis, especially if they happen in the setting of a patient that has disease controlled elsewhere. Okay. Well, we have to take a short break for a medical minute, but right after the break, we'll talk a lot more about how to control brain metastases with radiation, surgery, and medical oncology, as well as treatment of primary brain tumors. Stay tuned. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a global science-led biopharmaceutical business committed to bringing to market innovative oncology medicines that address unmet needs for people living with cancer. More at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about head and neck cancers. Although the percentage of oral and head and neck cancer patients in the United States is only about 5% of all diagnosed cancers, there are challenging side effects associated with these types of cancer and their treatment. Clinical trials are currently underway to test innovative new treatments for head and neck cancers, and in many cases, less radical surgeries are able to preserve nerves, arteries, and muscles in the neck, enabling patients to move, speak, breathe and eat normally after surgery. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. 
This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Antonio Omuro. We're talking about brain tumor treatment and care. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that sometimes people who have cancer in other parts of their body, breast cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer, you name it, cancer, sometimes those cancers can evade the ba- the blood-brain barrier and end up creating metastases or little deposits in the brain. And you were saying, Dr. Omuro, that there are a variety of ways of treating that, whether it's surgery, sometimes we can use uh, targeted uh, radiation with what's called radio surgery, um, or whole brain radiation if there's many metastases, and also using drugs, although the blood-brain barrier can sometimes be an issue. Now, you had also mentioned that you treat primary brain tumors, which start in the brain, and uh, and that neuro-oncology is a branch, a subspecialization, really, of medical oncology and neurology. So tell me more about the medical oncology part, both for primary tumors as well as for metastatic tumors. How do we get drugs into the brain to treat these? And do we use the same drugs for, say, a breast cancer that metastasized to the brain as a primary brain cancer? Right. So in terms of brain metastasis, what we do is to work with the medical oncologist to select the best treatment that could also address the brain metastasis. Of course, again, the main tools to treat these tumors are based on radiation, but sometimes they can benefit from a chemotherapy that is a little more penetrant into the brain or some more intensive regimens or the addition of immunotherapy that we're using more and more also to use brain metastasis, to treat brain metastasis. So immunotherapy can cross the blood-brain barrier? Yes, because uh, one good thing is that immunotherapies basically act on lymphocytes, which is an immune cell. And then those lymphocytes can go into the brain. So the target is in the lymphocytes. So they can go into the brain and fight the tumor. And in fact, we're seeing more and more that brain metastasis in, in clinical trials of immunotherapy, they tend to respond at the same rate as the original tumors. So that is something that is very encouraging because also helps uh, us to direct our new treatments for primary brain tumors, which is a whole new problem that uh, still remains uh, a big unmet uh, clinical need. Yeah, because as, as we've kind of talked about uh, sometimes on this show, uh, there are some tumors which are more immunogenic, which are more uh, susceptible to immunotherapies and others that are not. Um, so certainly if you have a brain metastases of, say, a melanoma, which is one that uh, we use a lot of immunotherapy for, uh, that might be an option. How immunogenic or how susceptible to immunotherapy are primary brain tumors? Right. Unfortunately, uh, brain tumors, especially primary brain tumors, and in this case, the most common one is uh, uh, gliomas or glioblastomas. So these tumors are what we call very cold from an immunologic standpoint. So they don't have a lot of those mutations that wake up the immune system. So that is definitely one of the challenges that we are doing. But we are seeing more and more 
we're, we're devising ways to spot those tumors that do have some increase in the number of mutations, which would be the best candidates for immunotherapy. So we're kind of selecting the patients for those treatments. Across the board, it, it's really not a very helpful treatment at this time. I think there's also other issues uh, which uh, have to do with how the brain tumors evade the immune system that can be different from evading the immune system in the body. The brain has its own uh, ways of dealing with uh, immunologic issues, and that is something that we're trying to understand, and we have several clinical trials trying different agents, meaning that these are different agents as compared to uh, agents that are being used to treat cancer in general. So tell me more about that. Tell me more about what's new and interesting in terms of clinical trials and where the field of neuro-oncology is going for primary brain cancer, because I'm sure that any of our listeners who are listening who either have a brain cancer uh, or know somebody who does, I mean, that's a very scary diagnosis. And when you think that not a lot of chemotherapy agents kind of pass the blood-brain barrier, um, that that these may be in areas that may or may not be resectable given where it is in the brain and nobody really wants to lose a lot of brain tissue and you're dealing with really delicate structures. Where are we in terms of moving the field forward? Right. So I think brain tumors, primary brain tumors, are traditionally seen as very difficult to treat. But I think we're turning the page and uh, we're... There's a lot of reason for hope there. We have so many clinical trials ongoing as we speak, and we're trying all sorts of things. So here at Yale, we are developing new immunotherapies. We are developing nanotechnology to make these drugs get into the brain. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by nanotechnology? So one of the issues, of course, is the blood-brain barrier, as we just discussed, and we are learning that uh, producing certain types of nanoparticles that could actually carry the drugs into the tumor or into the brain uh, can be a helpful way to improve the efficacy of these drugs. So little particles that can kind of sneak in between the little holes in the blood-brain barrier carrying their drugs with them exactly, and getting through the blood-brain barrier to the cancer in the brain. Right, right. This is a very exciting new uh, way of addressing these tumors and, and dealing with the issues of uh, blood-brain barrier. We're also trying other what we call vectors, uh, which means ways of bringing things into the brain to treat the tumors. And one of the things that we're using is actually viruses. We have one investigator that actually has been working with all sorts of virus, even Ebola, which gets me a little nervous when I talk to him. Yeah, I'm sure it's getting everybody on the audience a little nervous too. Right, but he he knows what he's doing and he's uh, discovering certain types of virus that could be used to uh, attack tumor cells and also wake up the immune system. So there's a lot of research ongoing in that area as well. But I'm sure, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean... Uh, certainly people have talked about viruses and cancer, but most commonly we talk about viruses causing cancer. We talk about HPV, for example, or HIV-induced cancers. And here you're really talking about a virus that you're kind of using, as I understand it, kind of like a Trojan horse to go and attack uh, a cancer. How do you know that that 
isn't going to also cause the disease that the virus is known for, like Ebola, for example. Right, right. Well, usually the, these viruses are heavily manipulated to ensure that the properties that they originally had that caused disease are actually uh, mitigated or uh, eliminated. Off, yeah. So that is something very well established and is a very safe procedure. And in fact, that we have several types of viruses that are in clinical trials, and the safety data of those trials has been very favorable. Now, what we're more interested on is whether they really work and deliver on the task of attacking the tumor cells and uh, awakening the immune system. And so, and so do we have data on that? Uh, we have very early phase one data, and uh, I think that's an ongoing uh, project. Uh, we have uh, now, I, I think we're learning how to produce better vectors and more effective, because we can imagine that we want these viruses to only go to the tumor cells, and that is something that is not so easy to do. And But the enormous advancements that we're seeing in the genomics and the understanding of the microbiology uh, of these viruses, we're getting to a point where we can uh, get much better vectors to uh, deliver more effective and safe treatment. And so if somebody presents with a primary brain tumor to you today, um, aside from surgery and radiation, what kinds of medicines are they being offered as standard of care? And how do you decide between all of these clinical trials that we've talked about, whether it's nanoparticles or viruses or, or other things, what you're going to offer in terms of systemic therapy? Right. So I think at this point in time, unfortunately, the mainstay of treatment is still a treatment that was developed almost 30 years ago, which basically radiation and a chemotherapy called temozolomide. So I'm talking about gliomas. Um, Unfortunately, there is not much in terms of standard of care, as to speak, but uh, a lot of patients do choose the uh, clinical trial route in, a, in an attempt to get new developments earlier. I think that's the reason why people do enroll in clinical trials. And of course, there's a lot of uh, the patients giving their uh, efforts and time to science because they do understand that uh, if they enroll in a clinical trial, the clinical trial may not work, but at least we will understand more and more about the disease at the very minimal. And again, the clinical trials are getting more and more uh, advanced and smarter. So we tend to enroll patients that are more likely to uh, benefit for a, a given treatment. So we select patients from the beginning. And uh, I think nowadays it is very important to have a comprehensive genomic analysis to see if there is any actionable drug that we can address either in a clinical trial or in a so-called off-label use of medications that are out there. And that is something that here at Yale we do routinely. We do a very advanced uh, whole exome sequencing in all of the patients, uh, and that is a very helpful tool to down the road uh, guide us on, on choosing clinical trials and, and matching the patients with the best treatment. So really a personalized approach um, to treating these brain tumors. Yes, that's the way to go. That is very promising, but it also brings a lot of challenges because you can imagine that each of these mutations or abnormalities at the molecular level are relatively rare. So it's 
hard to run trials when there's so few patients that are uh, alike. Mm -hmm. So that becomes a problem with enrollment and selection of patients, but we're getting, again, better and better. And the more we know about these patients, the faster the trials are run. And so with all of the clinical trials and with the, the genomic sequencing and with the personalized medicine and all of that, are we actually getting better in terms of patient survival? Like, what was the five-year survival of brain tumors, primary brain tumors, 30 years ago when you said that we were starting with radiation and uh, temozolomide? And what is their survival now? Like, have we actually made a dent? So, in fact, if you look at trends overall, the good news is that patients are surviving longer. Even though the treatment is about the same, the way they're delivered is improving and the way we handle complications is improving. There is improvements in surgery and in radiation and also there are some options for when the tumor comes back in spite of the treatment. So I think we are making progress, but still, as compared to other cancers, there is a long way to go. Dr. Antonio Almoro is Chief of Neuro-Oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, where he is also the Clinical Program Leader of the Brain Tumor Program. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.